mixed martial arts and boxing fans. It's time for Fighters Fury, Inside the Heart of a Champion, with your hosts, Brendan Tobin, Seema, and Tommy Guns. It's time for Fighters Fury on AM790 The Ticket. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Fighters Fury here on 790 The Ticket. Tobin here with you. As we'll dive all over the world in mixed martial arts and boxing for the next hour. Very excited for today's show. We will dive into UFC 231 and the great performance of Max Holloway yesterday. Putting on the clinic against Brian Ortega to defend his featherweight championship. 13 straight wins for blessed Max Holloway. So we'll get to that in just a second. We will also speak later on today's show with the director of Creed 2, Stephen Capel Jr., which I'm very excited about. I'm a huge Rocky junkie, as I'm sure a lot of you who listen to this show are. And this is the second edition of the Creed chapter of the Rocky saga. And it was uh, it was fantastic. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit with the director of Creed 2 later on today's show. Uh, but we'll start last night in, Tor- in Toronto. Max Holloway stepping in against Brian Ortega. Goes into this, and this was a, it was an interesting thing because, you know, we talked about this last week. There's a there's a lot unknown about what Max was going to look like going into this, but if I had to, if I had to pick, just based on skill set, you know, I, I think I'd definitely go with Max probably with a late stoppage because the accumulation, the damage that this guy ends up putting on his opponents is is it's really second to none in the sport. He 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 really just piles on an accumulation of damage and accuracy and viciousness to his strikes. That it's just it's a real thing of 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 pain to watch, but but really just you have to have appreciation for what he puts forth in that octagon every time he steps in there. And I thought Brian was tough as hell. He he gave everything that he could back because you know he started off a little bit behind the eight ball with how accurate Max was. He obviously is is secondary when it comes to the striking in this matchup. Max is the better striker. Um, Brian was coming into this with with really. What bursted him onto the scene was he was the first guy to finish Frankie Edgar with that elbow. I mean, it was it was crazy. We've never seen Frankie Edgar hit like that before, and we never probably thought it was going to come from a guy like Brian Ortega. But because uh, Max came into this with so many question marks, what was the hell status going to be? How was the weight cut going to go? Um, you know, and, and and I don't think that the reputation that he got as a guy who's frequently going to miss weight was was fair. You know, this was a guy who really. We, we talked about going into that Khabib fight. He was there to save that card, you know, of of, of a, a, a a big landmark fight for the UFC that was supposed to be Khabib versus Tony. And Max stepped up with seven days' notice to cut over 30 pounds to come and to try and make that fight. And the commission ended up stopping it. I mean, you know, maybe he could have even gotten there to get to that scale. Um but this is a big guy for 145, and he's really done everything there is to do. You know, maybe he doesn't have the longest title reign of all time, but he's beaten every outside of really Frankie Edgar. He's beaten pretty much everybody in the top five that has been of note over the last couple of years. You know, like Chad Mendez has uh, has has burst on has, has come back after you know he was a, a former featherweight contender with classic fights against Jose Aldo with a with a high landmark fight against Conor McGregor, where he beat him up in the first round. Um, he had a USADA suspension for two years, so you know maybe you go that direction. Um, 
Maybe you go the Frankie Edgar route. Maybe you go Mike Cano if, you, if you're going to go with probably the lowest known name, but maybe one of the most deserving guys in that division. But, you know, Max made this point after the fight with Joe Rogan. He's like, I, I don't want to be the guy who, who leaves his throne. I want to be the guy who defends forever. But you do have to look at this and say, man, you have a, you have a huge opportunity here as maybe maybe one of the big stars of UFC. Like, this guy really can break out. Um, he has a, he's a, he's a, a really, really contagious personality. He has a fun fight style. He's literally pointing to Joe Rogan right before the fourth round and is saying this is this is it this is you know he's had the he had the classic standoff with with Ricardo Lamas and and Cub Swanson of the throwdowns uh he's he's just an electric personality to watch in the cage and so you look at this and you say well what should he do next um here's the thing you know Tony last night tweets out that if the Khabib fight doesn't come to fruition because we're going to find out Khabib and Connor's basically their sentence come Monday of, of what what their status is with the Nevada State Athletic Commission and how long they're going to be off. If you're a guy like Max Holloway and you see guys jumping all around and when they jump divisions, they basically get title shots. You know, Dana put it like this. You know, 155, he wants him to go to 155, but 155 is a different beast. And if you're Max Holloway, you probably got to be looking at that and be like, oh, really? Like, okay, so I don't. Here's my reward for winning 13 straight fights is I get to go to the toughest division in the sport, and I'm not going to get a title shot. And it's not that I don't get it from Dana's standpoint. I get it. You don't want to you don't want to shake the ecosystem of what's already a tough situation. You know, Dustin Poirier in any other division probably has, would have gotten two title shots by now. Uh, Tony Ferguson, he was an interim champion who lost his belt because he tore up his knee doing fight promotion. Uh, you have Conor McGregor, who's the biggest star in the sport. He's always going to be in line for a title shot, no matter what. You have Habib, who is the champion, but maybe getting disciplined soon. It's just it's just an, a never-ending gauntlet over there. Kevin Lee and Ally Quinta are going to fight next week. Um, you know, Ally Quinta is, went the distance with Habib. Um Put forth a very valiant effort, only on 24 hours' notice against him. Uh, Kevin Lee, very, very talented guy, and, you know, just just oozes charisma. And and is a really, you know, the youngest of all these guys, really has the opportunity, I think, to be a, a breakout star as well. I mean, this division just never, ever ends. So if you're Max Holloway and you're looking at the landscape, if you're not going to get the title shot right away, Facing Habib, you know, I would only do this if I was Max on two two occasions. Okay, the rematch against Conor McGregor or title shot. The, the, you know, if I'm him, I'm not I'm not making that move to fight Dustin Poirier, an absolute killer. I'm not making that move to fight Tony Ferguson, an absolute killer. And it's not to say that Max, you know, Max has come from a different cloth, so maybe he'll go do it anyway. I'm just I'm kind of just stepping back and looking at this. Like if I'm if I'm Max's management and I'm looking at this, I'd be like, all right. You want me to make the the move to the toughest division? You want me to give up my belt? You know, something that he worked very hard. Look how many fights he had to win in a row just to get the title shot because of Conor McGregor's presence and Conor McGregor having that win over him from 2013. All right, if you want me to make that move, it's got to be either Conor or it's got to be for the gold. And I don't know if you're the UFC, if you legitimately can take that opportunity away from Tony Ferguson 
And if Dustin Poirier gets another one, how the hell is he not supposed to get a title shot? So I know we're in this situation where we get excited about the last thing that just happened, but, you know, I, I think for right now, you should just have this guy be the king of the featherweights because he made the weight easily. I know everybody was concerned about what happened, but you can't you can't look to that Khabib cut and think that counts because he was he was trying to do something absolutely crazy for for your company for the fans. Uh, I still want to see that match and see what that would be like. The Connor fight, if he were to make that, I mean that's a no brainer. You you go and make that because it's obviously the it's the last time you lost. It's the highest profile fighter in the sport, and if you beat him. Um, it, it's almost like who can doubt this guy is one of the best of all time. And, you know, I, I think for right now, if, if you were to say, Max, you have the opportunity to fight Frankie Edgar, you have a, the opportunity to fight Tony Ferguson. It's like if, if that Tony Ferguson fight's not for an interim 155 belt, why? What, why? That, that opportunity for 55 is not going anywhere. It's going to be there. Why not? Why not let it? settle itself right now because it, it, it's an absolute cluster bleed. Now, I don't know what they're going to offer him money-wise. Maybe they make it worth his while. Maybe they maybe they really sweep him off his feet. Um, but he was just, he was vicious yesterday, man. And Brian Ortega, I mean, he put forth such a great fight. Such a, such a, such a tough dude. He got his, he got his face turned into mincemeat and that was that was such a, a, a crazy fourth round strike by Max. Like he was, he was building up to that. We we thought watching those first two rounds, you're like, wow, this guy's next level with his striking, the distance that he's at, the movement that he's at. Everybody talks about Connor and the movement that he presents, and you know, people talk about Tony and the the uh, the unique style that he has. You know, people talk about all these great strikers. Jose Aldo, one of the best strikers of all time. This guy may be one of the best strikers of all time. The way he's able to established distance. He was not fighting a small featherweight either. This was not one of those situations where he's fighting a guy where he's really taking advantage of the weight class. Um, he He's taken on a guy here in Brian Ortega who probably also is better off at 155 eventually. But the the just just the the sharpness, it's like he's thrown it's like he's throwing razor blades with his fists. That's that's the kind of precision that he has with those fists. And what the the thing that's crazy about it is it seems like in every Max Holloway fight, because he likes being in the firefight, there's always this one hint of of danger, but it's almost like it's never enough. Like, he he handles the chaos better than any fighter I think I've ever seen because it looks like he's going in there and we're just going to we're gonna get hell-bent and swing like crazy, but it's crazy like a fox. Like, he he's going in there, and he's almost like one of the guys to, to wear down and throw crazy shots and, and throw caution to the wind. And meanwhile, it's like step back, boom, boom, boom. Few few shots you didn't even see it coming. You thought we were going to hit, you know, go to Haymaker City, and and it, it's right, it's right, it's right down Broadway. It, it's really just it's such a it's such a crazy great style, uh, switching stances, um, the distance that he's able to go with, the showboating that he goes with. He he has a he has a he has a real bravado in there that isn't always, you know, a lot of people go up there and, and they and they talk the big game, and you know we love that. We love the guys who can talk the, the great trash to the microphone. Max is fine on the microphone. It's not like he's uh it's not like he's 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 a bore, 
but he is electric in that octagon. His personality soaks through in that octagon when he's fighting, when he's beating somebody up, when he's putting forth a masterful performance. That's that's when that guy really, really shines. So it's been an, it's been an incredible run for him. Thirteen straight wins in this sport is 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 nearly unheard of. He's three away from Tyron Anderson Silva's win streak. Um, I don't know if that factors into when he wants to go to 155. But look, I get the excitement. I know that they're looking at this Savant saying, "We'll we don't want him to make that cut anymore. It's too dangerous for him." I don't know. I I I think this is one of those things where Dana's getting very excited. It's cool. Like it's good to see Dana get excited about other guys and start putting forth. He was very excited about Kamaru Usman and the performance he put forth against RDA and saying that he wants him to get a title shot now, maybe above Colby Covington. Um, he's not necessarily leaning on the guys who just talk. He's not just he's not just leaning on the guys that make for those those electric press conferences. He's being wowed again by the great performances in the cage. And that's what Max put forth yesterday. It was a really, really great performance. And he's one of the best he's one of the best on the planet right now. You know, where does he rank pound for pound? He's you know, for my money, he's gotta be in the top five. I mean, it's tough it's tough to take Khabib off right now. Daniel Cormier is number one. Khabib's number two. John Jones is really number one. Once he comes back and he wins his belt, he should be the top guy. Like, Max being behind TJ Dillashaw is ridiculous to me in a a pound-for-pound setting because he's just done more. He's won more, never loses, fights in a way more difficult division, more impressive loss, more impressive wins. Um, Yeah, TJ Dillashaw shouldn't be ranked above him in pound-for-pound. John Jones should. I get why Khabib is. He's undefeated. And DC having the two belts. I get it, but... He he's he's definitely. I mean, like, I guess the best the the best way to just put it. He's just one of the best to do it right now. He's one of the he's one of the best on the planet, and he's killing it at featherweight. He stormed through all the contenders basically, and so if I were him, and I look at this and I look at this rundown of the top five, I would say Frankie Edgar is definitely one you want on your resume because of his status in the sport. Um. You know, I feel like he butchered Chad Mendez. Renato Moicano, that'd be a really fun fight. He's beaten Jeremy Stevens. He's beaten Cub Swanson. I mean, dude's an absolute stud. Ricardo Lamas, he's beaten. So if he makes that move to 155, the top five right now looks like this. Habib's the champ. Tony, Connor, Dustin, Kevin Lee, Edson Barboza. Um, not, I'm not messing with Edson Barboza my first my first fight. Uh, Kevin Lee, I feel like he tuned up Kevin Lee, but I don't know if I'd make the move for Kevin Lee. Dustin Poirier, one of my favorites, but I don't know if I'd make the move to face Dustin Poirier. And Poirier's got to be so upset. Like it, because if Max does make that move to 155, he's going to get a title shot before Dustin Poirier. I'm telling you. It's going to happen. But there's only, like, you only make the move if you're Max. If you're getting Connor or if you're getting. Title shot. That's it. You don't make the move otherwise. We're back after this. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. All right, welcome back, guys. Fighters Fury here on The Ticket. UFC 231 last night was an absolute blast. Tiago Santos, shout out to him, man. 
second round knockout of Jimmy Manoa. It's a five. It was this was a five fight year for for Thiago Santos. That's crazy for UFC. Five fights, four in one year. Really awesome, really awesome by Thiago. Uh, Dana said yesterday he got one of the uh, performance nights, but they said that was on the way to being fight of the night before the main event. The main event was really tremendous. It really was a good, good fight. Brian Ortega showed such heart in that third round. Also, got to mention Valentina Shevchenko. She won the flyweight championship, so she is finally a UFC champion. Um, Janjacek uh, pulled forth a nice performance. Really, really gutty. Um, but Valentina, you know, really found the takedown, uh, career high in takedowns for her. And, you know, Valentina is just such a, she's a, she's a very good striker. You want to talk about, um, the two, probably the two crispest strikers you got in, in women's MMA. That's probably it right there. Uh, Valentina probably has been fighting way in, in a division that's way too big for her all this time. And, and she outstruck Holly Holm. I mean, we know how good a striker Holly Holm is. Uh, so she gets to, gets the flyweight belt. You know, Joanna seems at a bit of a crossroads right now. Um, now she's lost two title fights to Rose. She's lost a title fight to Valentina, and she doesn't she doesn't really seem where she knows where she wants to go. That's that's the thing. You know, she really still doesn't seem settled on the Rose thing. She even was saying afterwards that you know, well, you know, if Rose doesn't defend in four months, then there should be an interim belt on the line. And, the only reason she's going to go to 115 is for is is for a strawweight title shot. It's just like you've gotten two of those, and so I guess look if if if, if Rose isn't a top the strawweight division, and then we could talk about Joanna getting a title shot. But we've seen all we can see. We've seen her beat two different ways by Rose. We've seen her knock the clean out, knock clean out at 115 pounds, and we've seen her beat up over a fight. So. I really just don't know what, this, what there is to see in that matchup right now. That, you know, and and it's not like Joanna hasn't been getting getting chances. She she's obviously one of the biggest faces in women's mixed martial arts, and um, you could argue probably the 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 triumphant has been uh, of you know biggest names has been Ronda, Cyborg, and Joanna. Um, but you know that the the one thing this this happens with. I wonder about this because. You know, in boxing, small fighters age a lot quicker. You know, they 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 always say like, you ever notice how heavyweights could fight on forever? They don't have to cut the weight. You know, and and, and so we'll see. Like Frank Mir's fighting this weekend on Bellator. These guys could still go out there and put forth some type of of a performance. But those weight cuts, we've seen the vicious weight cuts that Joanna's done. Uh, even though she's kind of changed her methods from from that nasty video that came out it's it's a brutal cut and that takes a lot especially on the you know they say with 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 the with the woman's body the way it affects that that fluctuating weight change affects them even worse so you know it's possible that you we've just seen the best days of her that's possible this is a this is a woman who's been doing it for a while and she's tremendous and she is a great face for the sport and she got beat by a really good fighter last night this this is not you know it's not like Joanna is going out there and she's getting beaten by bums. She's losing to, to Rose Namajunas, who may reign over that division a long time, and, and Valentina Shevchenko's been in it with the best of the best. You know, she's gone... Valentina Shevchenko has gone toe-to-toe and had, and had razor-thin losses to Amanda Nunes, who's one of the most dangerous women on the planet. Um, it, It's not surprising that she can go out there and have her way with, with Joanna, who is, you know... 
maybe more naturally made for 125, but Valentina's really more naturally made for 125. Um, so I don't know. I, I just think that you know Joanna's at, at a crossroads, but the bigger point is here. Valentina, shout out to her. It's a good face to have for that weight class that you know they had Nico Montagna who didn't want to defend her belt and had all that weirdness go down. So the fact that they got somebody like Valentina to be the head of it, they needed they they needed one of these two. Because that division's been a bit of a disaster. They needed one of these two women to be the face of that division. Um, speaking of, of of women's mixed martial arts, and and then I want to get to some of the uh, matchups coming up next weekend. There was a, there was a big story this week regarding Rachel Rachel Ostevich. She is uh, back on her card with Paige Van Zant. And if you guys don't know the story, Rachel uh, allegedly was beat up by. Her her husband her husband got a got a nasty assault charge, and she was had a broken orbital bone, uh, busted up ribs, and wasn't gonna fight wasn't gonna fight Paige Van Zandt. It was it was a major deal because they wanted those to be one of the feature fights for ESPN Plus and ES the you know the UFC starting. I think next week is their last Fox card, and they wanted to have, they wanted to have this huge card to. Um, to, to launch ESPN Plus and all that stuff. So, Rachel Ostevich was going to be fighting Paige Van Zandt, um, you know, and, and so that was planned. And then in the midst of that, because of the attack, she was taken off the card. And in the same window of all this stuff going down, they decide that Greg Hardy, his first fight in the UFC, is going to be on this card. You know, Greg Hardy was on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. He had a monster knockout of former Jacksonville Jaguar Austin Lane. I was I was like, whoa, Austin Lane, I remember that. That's a blast from the past there. Knocked him the clean out. He's been knocking everybody out. And uh and Greg has been uh, he's been training an American top team and you know talent wise, you're talking about a guy who was an all pro an all pro defensive end and now, you know, really ran his course in the league, not only because of the domestic violence stuff, but you know, missing you know, missing meetings and drug addiction and all that stuff. That that basically he ran his course and ran out of options in the NFL. People are like, this isn't worth the PR hit, and this is also not worth the talent hit. We're not really reaping any benefits here. But Greg Hardy is uh, going to try and take that athletic talent and see if he could be a good UFC fighter. And we don't really know. We haven't really seen him against the creme de la creme yet. But obviously. The optics of having Greg Hardy. So Greg Hardy gets uh, Greg Hardy gets put on the card, and in the same window of all this stuff going down, then Rachel decides she's going to also fight. So, you know, people are people are like, ah, this starts coming out this week. Well, is this the best optics to have Rachel Ostevich, a domestic violence survivor, on the same card as an infamous? person who has had a conviction of domestic violence in his past um you know and there was an appeals process where the accused didn't show up and all that but should that really be the best place to debut him and look the greg hardy thing the ufc wanting to do it i get it i get them wanting to go and find big names big talent and fighting is 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 a little bit more easy to taking guys with rough backgrounds and and kind of flaunting that and 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 using that to their promotions benefit it's not like the nfl you know people are tuning into you fight by fight it's not a sunday by sunday thing 
Um, you know, if somebody boycotts a card, it's different than boycotting a season because they don't like the the character of somebody in there. Um, and then there also has to be this thing, well, like how, how much, you know, we're going through this right now with Kareem Hunt. Like how much, how long should a guy be punished for a bad, bad thing that he did or was seen doing or convicted of doing or accused of doing or is tied? Um, the thing that's with the UFC, with this decision, I get it. I, you know, I think Dana made the point. Like, you know, like how she doesn't have a problem. Apparently they, they called Rachel Ostovich. She didn't have a problem with it. Um, that she gave her approval and she said, like, he didn't do these things to me. I don't really want to answer questions about it. And I think that's fair. They don't, when, when media week comes, like, don't pepper her with questions about what are your feelings of Greg Hardy being on the same card? Um, but the UFC also has to know that this is, you know, Greg Hardy said this, like, he knows it's always going to be part of the story. UFC also has to realize this is always going to be part of the story. Unfortunately with him, he, he, he has this, this, this notorious thing in his past and now he's in a cage fight, and he's going to try and make great fame and riches being a fighter. This is going to be part of the story. Um, and, and and I don't know ultimately what the end will be. Like, if, if Greg Hardy goes on to be a great UFC fighter and wins the heavyweight championship of the world, I don't know how that's going to be looked upon. I'm sure for the Hardys and his family, it's going to be looked upon as this great redemption story, and he's been through a lot. You know, he went through the bottom of fighting and did a lot of training over in Coconut Creek, and all those things are true. Will it be embraced as a great comeback story by the mainstream media? I don't know. I probably not. I would I would venture to guess because I don't think people can shake those things once you have that in your past and that stigma in your past. I don't know if that thing can be. Sh- I don't know if that can be shook. But I can guarantee you this: having him on the same card as Rachel is not going to help anything because he's only going to be portrayed as the bad guy even more so. You know, Rachel's already said like she. One of the big reasons she's doing this is to show people who have been inflicted by these types of things and these types of attacks that they can still go forth. And so I know that Greg doesn't have any great crime on Rachel, and I know that um, he didn't do anything to her, and I, and, I, and I can understand him wanting to move on. I just think that it's a misstep by the UFC that they're going to put Greg on the same card just because it's one of these things where no matter what happens, it feels like this is going to swell over it. So if the guy does have any hope to be any kind of comeback story or turn the chapter in his life, this probably isn't the place you want to start his new career. It seems like a huge misstep by them. So I, I don't know. It's uh, I mean, it looks like it's going forth, and we'll see what that week turns into. You know, Dana tried to shut everybody down this week. He's like, I'm not, I'm not talking about it. <laughs> But you can understand, like, everybody just, like, looking around and be like, hey, uh, is this the best look? Is this the best way to do this? And the answer is probably no, it's not. It's not the best way to do this. It, 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 for both fighters. Because you know she is going to get peppered with those questions about fighting on the same card as Greg Hardy. You know Greg's going to have to answer about, you know, hey, you have a, a, a fighter here, and he's going to have to shut down and say, I don't want to talk about the past. I'm trying to move on. And fine. But... It's not, you're going to have to excuse the media and and the people covering the sport if you're just like, you don't just think this is, you don't think this is your debut could have been put in a better spot, or Rachel, you don't think your highest profile fight could have been put in a better spot, or Greg, you don't think your debut in the UFC could have been put in a better 
play spot. I just think it's a misstep by the UFC. And now it feels like they're dug in too deep to move past this. Um, but they probably should have. They probably should have realized this. I know that the, the timing got a little bit wacky with her being on the card, off the card. But once she was on the card and you decide that she was going to be on the card and not move her fight with Paige Van Zant down further in the year, you know, some change I think should have been made because I, I think it's unavoidable now what's going to happen. And, and for both sides, like, you you, you know, you want to you wanna give Greg Hardy the second chance and fine. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I, I think Greg Hardy can go make a living if he wants to go in a cage and fight another man. Um, you know, go do it. Go do it. I mean, it's it, it's that's that I'm I'm fine with that. I'll, I'll you know we'll we'll deal with the the fallout and the reaction and all that stuff later. But you're gonna do that on the same card as somebody who just got attacked in a thing that this guy is most known for. It's just really really a bad look by the UFC. So we'll see how this goes, man. Uh, that's gonna be coming down to the uh, the start of next year. Uh, let's get into some of the fights for next week before we get to Stephen Cable, director of Creed 2. Next week, I'm very excited for this. You got Bellator in Hawaii. By the way, can Max Holloway get a card in Hawaii? If Bellator's going to Hawaii, that's going to piss him off to high hell. Like, he's not getting a card in Hawaii. Bellator's going to be in Hawaii. Brent Primus versus Michael Chandler rematch for the lightweight championship of the world. I'm going to go with Michael Chandler. Wacky way that he lost the belt. I don't know where the hell Brent Primus has been. Um... But Michael Chandler, I uh, he's one of my favorite fighters on the planet. And so, bias pick my way, but I also just think that he's going to get the better of it this way. You got Frank Mir versus Javi Ayala. I'm going to go with Javi to get that win there. And then you got A.J. McKean, one of their uh, one of their best young fighters. He's really, really talented. Taking on Daniel Crawford, I'm going to go with A.J. McKean. Check out that Bellator card. It's really good. And then next week, we also have we have Kevin Lee versus Ally Aquinta. And uh, this is the final Fox card. Uh, I'm going to go with Kevin Lee. You got Edson Barbosa against Dan Hooker. Uh, I'll go with Barbosa. Uh, Rob Font versus Sergio Pettis. I'll go with Pettis. And then Jim Miller against Charles Oliveira. I am going to go with Charles Oliveira for that fight. Can't wait. That's a fun fight weekend next weekend. Um, and then finally, shout out to uh, Vasily Lomachenko for unifying his his lightweight championship. He's And he said the right thing yesterday. He says, I want Mikey Garcia. I don't understand how we are in this situation now where Mikey Garcia is taking on one of the best welterweights in the world instead of Vasily Lomachenko just because it's a better promotional matchup. Seems wacky to me. You should have a trade-off. I don't know how they do this, but it seems as simple as hell. You trade Terrence Crawford to PBC. PBC, trade Mikey Garcia to ESPN. Do a little Bellator or do a little UFC one championship trade-off. Mikey Garcia needs to be fighting Lomachenko. Terrence Crawford needs to be fighting Errol Spence. That's what we should be doing, not anything else. It's getting all wacky. It's not what's going to happen. Mikey Garcia is going to fight Errol Spence, but that's not the way it should be. It should be they, they should have figured this out a lot better. All right. Stephen Cable Jr. is the director of Creed 2. I loved Creed 2, and I'm sure a lot of the fight fans who listen to us liked Creed as well. So we'll, uh, we'll talk to him about the movie. We'll talk to him about Sly Stallone, saying that he is retiring the Rocky character, if he believes that, and a lot of other fun stuff. The director of Creed 2, Stephen Capel Jr., joins us next. What's up, guys? This is Tobin. I got a chance to get an interview with Stephen Capel Jr. He's the director of Creed 2. Did as much of a dive on the film as you could in the 10 minutes I was allotted and got to do it. So just a heads up, if you are going to listen to this interview, uh, there are some spoilers, not really like 
huge moments of the ending of the movie, but there's a lot of um, details about the movie that I do discuss with him. So I don't want to piss anybody off. If you guys uh, are going to go see Creed 2, go see Creed 2, then come back and listen to the interview. I think you'll really enjoy it even more. Um, but even if you are thinking about going to see the movie, this is, uh, I think, is something you'll enjoy, especially if you're a fan of the Rocky franchise. All right, I'm very excited about this. Let's go to the Ryan Fields and Downstairs Convenience Stores guest line. Truly steps beyond convenient. And you guys know I'm a huge boxing fan. You guys know Fighters Fury Sundays at 9 a.m. every single week. Uh, although 10 a.m. is coming up after this football season wraps up. But this week, Sundays at 9 a.m. And I want to go out and talk to the director of Creed 2. That is Stephen Capel Jr., who took over the franchise from Ryan Coogler as the director. And, and, the, and the torch was passed over to him. And really, I thought it was a, a fantastic movie. And so, looking forward to to talking to him about this. Stephen, thanks for the time, man. Really appreciate it. Oh, man, thank you for having me. The movie was awesome. Uh, went out to see it immediately as it came out. Uh, it it uh, lived up to everything I was hoping for. It was a huge Rocky junkie. Uh, as, when you got the opportunity to to get to do this project, uh, were you a huge Rocky fan to begin with, or did you have to like do the deep dive? How does that go with a, with a franchise like this? No, as a fan, I was already a fan of the Rocky franchise. The, uh I don't, I don't know too many people who weren't fans of the franchise. The, the deep diving goes more to the research. We start to put shots and, and, and put the story together more so than anything else. And, wh- and how does that how does that go as far as you know the 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 re the the spinoff of, of the original Creed? It's 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 wildly successful. Everybody's buzzing about it. You have all these ways you can go because the story goes. You know, you know, Rocky goes in so many different directions. So, how did you ultimately decide that you wanted to tie the bow on the Drago story? Uh, I mean, it was Sly's idea. Sly, when he came up with the, uh, the the idea of making a sequel, he wanted to bring back the Dragos. Um, I think for me, when I jumped on the project and when MGM called me, it was about adding that layer death to the Dragos, making sure they weren't the same Drago from from 1986. Um, so if you really look at it, it's like a, a spinoff, obviously, uh, with Creed, and it's being successful. We did a sequel to it. So you see those characters progress. But then it's also a spinoff to Rocky IV because you bring the Dragos back. So there's a lot of homage being paid and a lot of tribute to, to what was going on in that era in 86 um, while making it more modern and today so people can relate to these characters. Yeah, it was definitely it was, it was an awesome thing because you get Ivan Drago, like the first time we really see him outside of training his son, He's having this dialogue with Rocky, and you're like, "Wow, these guys never—they never really spoke in the first movie. There was there was only just this yeah. deep hatred because he killed his friend in the ring, but they never—you never really got to to get that soul to soul hatred from each other." Yeah, they never even had a yeah, they never even had a sit down moment. I mean, if you go back to even Rocky Four, at the end of the matchup, usually in every Rocky, he goes up to the opponent. You know, they shake hands and hug. They say, "Good fight." You know, we did it. Oh, uh, but even in Rocky Four, they never even communicated. You know, um, obviously he spazzed out uh, Ivan Drago and, and took out his entire crew, beating uh, Russia. Oh, <laughs> uh, but in this go around, in this go around, yeah, we, we wanted that sit down. We wanted to catch people up. We wanted to show them as human beings, most importantly. And I think that conversation showed you a side of Ivan Drago you haven't necessarily seen before. You think he's not about to have any lines, just like Rocky Four, and then we surprise you with a whole monologue, basically letting you know that, you know, uh, he's there and the reason why he's there and um, how much uh, pressure he's put on his son. Yeah, you guys, I mean, you guys did a wonderful job. Like, I went with my wife, and she's like, man, I didn't really even know who I wanted to win. They did such a good job of, of telling the, the Drago story 
with it. I mean, it was it was really beautifully done. Um, <laughs> Appreciate it, that. Don't tell Mike that. Don't tell Mike. I that. Well, no. Well, listen. I was I was Team Creed the whole way. I was you know it was almost it was funny because you guys the way you started the uh, the film with with taking on uh, Danny Wheeler, the guy played by Andre Ward. I was like, I was like, man, I almost wish they you guys spent a lot of time on that because. That was such a that was yeah. such a crazy storyline from the first one because I'm a huge boxing geek so like seeing a guy like Andre Ward get uh, on camera like that and he does that to to Adonis in the first movie I was like man I almost want to know what that the, the deep dive in that and it was still cool you guys tied in with the car and all that but um, I thought mm-hmm. like you know you, your mind no. goes in all these places no completely man that was a hard one for us too man just being a fan of the first one and the fact they took approach by using actual boxers. Um, yeah, I was just talking to Andre Ward yesterday. I'm glad that's funny that you brought it up. Because I'm like, hey, man, did you check out the movie yet? Because I've been in, in the uh, international for the film. Um, but, yeah, it was it was a tough one because we wanted to bring it back. But it wasn't necessarily about the belt. More so it was about the Mustang, like you said. You know, it was like uh, they have a deeper story. They have a little bit of history there. And when you're trying to put a movie together with so many moving pieces and so many characters, it's like which which pieces stick out the most. What what history is, is more powerful? This Mustang beat or or you know, this um this storyline about how this guy basically is trying to get, you know, avenge his father's name and his father killed this other guy's pops, you know, and so that obviously had the most weight to it, but I still wanted to bring back the Mustang bit and the fact that the Mustang used to be his father's, uh used to be uh, Creed's father's, which I don't think was stated in, in part one. Um, so it does have some emotional weight as well. So, yeah, it was a tough one, man. I mean, when you switch in gears like that, uh, you, you want to, again, bring in some of the aspects of Creed 1 and make sure you don't leave anything unturned. But when, you, when you're dealing with someone whose presence is as strong as the Dragos in the, in the Rocky franchise, it's like, all right, we have to make sure their story's flushed out too. We're talking to Stephen Cable Jr. He's the director of Creed 2. It's absolutely fantastic. It's in theaters now. I know we've been talking about, a lot about the film, but excuse me. I was geeking out over it. It's one of my favorite franchises. Uh, so, Stephen, the, the news, uh, it, was, it was revealed on social media. Um, Sly put out uh, the videos of the speech he gave to you guys, kind of passing you know, the official torch of the franchise over to, to Michael and to you guys of, of taking it. And he kind of retired the character. Um, did you think he was serious when that was going down behind the scenes and now – kind of all the uh, the fallout of him um, announcing that, that, that Rocky's done, that this is this is really, uh, this is Adonis' story to, to, to run with now, and, and uh, it's completely in, in, the, in that hand. You know, I wish I knew the real answer. Um, being there on set, man, we felt it, to be totally honest with you, while we were making the movie. Um, Sly, he would improv a lot of the stuff in the script sometimes, you know, and there was moments where we just felt like, like, man, he, he, we're going in a direction where this might feel like the last time we're actually seeing Rocky. You know, we, we definitely went in the direction where it was like it's supposed to be a Creed movie. But it felt, you felt the, the, the energy on set. And he gave that powerful speech, man. I think it's cut short on social media, but, like, it had everyone in tears. Myself, Mike, you know, uh, we were in the desert, empty land, and, and we were all together. And it was the last thing we shot in the movie. And so it was a surprise to us, really. And, um... We don't know how to take it just yet. Like we're 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 glad we were part of that, but like a part of me is always like knowing Sly, man, he's he's always willing to put up a fight. You know what I mean? So he may. I feel like he may come back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like he's definitely gonna probably rehash it. Like I never feel like it's over with Rocky until it's over. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, it's uh, I'm sure no no uh, spoiling about where you want the next one to go, but I've heard Michael say that he wants to do the the the, the number of like four or five uh, Creed films. Like when this is all done, how much time before you yourself are thinking about? Well, all right, what do we do for the next one? Where does the story go from here? Do you do that? Do you let the whole project sit and see what the reaction to it is, or does your mind start wandering immediately? Uh, immediately. Um, I mean, even before the script. I mean, I was when I was writing this one um, with my uh, writing partner, Joel, uh, I was already thinking about what are the setups for Creed 3 and Creed 4. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, just to leave some open-ended questions, where to go. You know, um, you know, don't necessarily tie everything up in a bow. You know, and we did it to a certain extent in the film, um, but I feel like I just want to see it grow gradually. You know what I mean? Yeah. In, in a way that makes sense and organic. Because you don't want it to jump too far ahead, and you know, you're in three and four, and you're like, all right, it's getting ridiculous. Um, I, you know, you want it to be still feel real and still feel grounded. So I think as long as we can do that, tell a story that way, I think there's going to definitely be more creeds of. But you think about that way beforehand, Mike. Mike, it, it really depends on obviously the audience if they want another one. But Mike definitely had it in back of his mind to, to probably put out a little bit more. Well, you guys have uh, did a really awesome job with the uh, with the sequel, Creed Two. Go out and see it in theaters now, guys, if you haven't. But uh, I can't recommend it enough. You did a great job. Thanks for doing a great job on it, uh, Stephen. And, and, and best of luck, continued success in your career and, and with this franchise. Uh, thank you so much, man. And again, thank you for having me. And I'm glad you enjoyed the film. Yeah, man, I I I, I loved it. I, I loved Creed too. Um, I've said it, like, look, it's not, it's not as it, it, I don't I don't like to even say it's not as good as Creed one because Creed is just it's it's its own identity. Like it's kind of this own spin off, and it and it becomes new. So it's always hard to build off of that because you're expecting a lot. But that's a tough situation that Steven was walking into. Like he was taking over a film from Ryan Coogler, the original director, who wanted to do Black Panther, and. That's a lot of pressure. You know, you kind of got, like, sliced alone there. He's the caretaker of the franchise. And Michael B. Jordan, who's become one of the biggest superstars in Hollywood. And, you know, I thought they did a very good job. It was, it, it really does, like, it picks from a lot of different Rocky franchises. Like, he mentions, you know, the Rocky, it kind of comes. Like, the, the characters are from Rocky Four, And if I had more time with them, I would have done the deep dive into, like, I thought that the storyline it was most like was really Rocky Three. you know, the idea that 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 your main character, your protagonist, loses to an unstoppable antagonist, and then really doubts his um, his ability to come back. I mean, that was really Rocky Three, which you know I, I think is probably the most inconsistent of all the films. Um, look at me, sound like as some Siskel and Ebert expert, but like, yeah, it, it it's still like I, there's every Rocky movie, I, even Rocky Five. Like, I have moments of Rocky that I just look for as entertainment. But, but Rocky Three, I thought, was the most inconsistent of the films of, you know, what made it great. But that was the most powerful part of it, was was Rocky losing, him losing his trainer, him having to go find himself, him not believing in himself, um, him having to train in a whole different way. And so you got the characters of Rocky Four, but you really got, I feel like, the story arc of Rocky Three. It was really, really awesome. So uh, great job by Stephen Cable Jr. I can't recommend it enough, guys. Like, it, it really was. It, it was a good job and, and super entertaining. That's what I want for my Rocky films. You know, like, people always like, oh, this one's so... It's like, yeah, I just want entertainment. And, you know, again, like, we could have gone in the direction. like, you want... These are the things you want in a Rocky film, right? You want... You want a an awesome fight scene with the to, to wrap up the story that you've been building the whole time. 
You need an A1 montage with kick-ass music to get everybody fired up and feeling great about themselves. And then you want, as the movies go on, you still want those moments from Sly Stallone and and now an Adonis to to really riff off each other and memorable lines that you'll drop on each other. Like those are the those are the big things um, that everybody wants to hear. And if they are going to harken back to a certain moment, uh, those little Easter eggs they live all those I love those too. That's 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 fantastic. So thanks to Stephen, go out and see Creed too.